I say good morning to everyone. Today's scripture reading will be found in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Colossians. And if you would stand, please. Colossians 2, verses 1 through 10. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. It's not easy thinking about God's design for me and how it intersects with his desire for me to minister to others because other things tend to, you know, get in the way. Things like my own attitude and my own desire to be selfishly um, involved and invested and enthralled, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what I really want to do in my life, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be able to see life like he sees life. I want to be able to see people like he sees people. I want to be able to care like he cares. And that's why I'm driven to the scriptures and I find in them that the more, the more I look and the more I see, uh, the more my heart is humbled if not crushed, because you know I can be so unlike him. But I want to be. God's desire, in fact, God's determination is to make me just like his son. And that's where I really want to be. This morning I want to talk about uh, that process a little and what it looks like. I had uh, Brother Edison read uh, Colossians chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 2, uh, because it talks about Christ in a way that I want us to key in on. 
uh, as opposed to those who falsely claim things about him. But it's actually in prelude with where I'm going, which is Ephesians chapter 4. <laughs> so if you have your copy of the scriptures or a device that contains them, uh, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue our journey through the book and uh, talk about the walk of the people of God. One of the reasons that I had him read Colossians chapter 2 is because I, again, only really want to deal with three verses, and I didn't want us to have Scripture reading with just three verses. So, Ephesians chapter 4, we've been looking at the passage 11 through 16, and I want us to conclude that today. We're going to end with verse 16 this morning, but we'll read verses 11 through 16 again for the context, um, remembering that verses 7 through 16 is actually one long sentence in the Greek. And he gave, he himself gave some to be apostles, verse 11, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the church, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth and love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Father, thank you so much again for this day. And uh, as always, uh, we thank you for everything. You said that your will, 1 Thessalonians uh, 5.18, is that in everything we give thanks. And we begin with thanksgiving because we want to see what you are doing, recognize it, and find delight in your design. Uh, so, Father, we thank you. Thank you for getting us up, getting us out, getting us in together this morning. Uh, thank you for allowing us to sit together, discuss your word together in Sunday school. Thank you for allowing us to sing together, give together, greet together, encourage one another together. Thank you for allowing us to be together. And now, Father, we thank you especially for allowing us the privilege of, of sitting at your feet as you speak to us uh, from your word, uh, teaching us more about yourself and your desire for us, your design uh, for us. And, Father, uh, how the Spirit will use your word to drive these truths into our hearts uh, that we will walk out that which you are working in. Thank you for the process. And, of course, we always... Uh, recognize that the enemy of our souls does not want this to go forward. Uh, so we ask that he might be bound for the moment, that 
he will not be allowed to to come in and and cause any dishevelment, any interruption. We want to hear from heaven alone. And so, Father, we ask you to keep him out and keep him quiet, keep him at bay, and allow us to be fully focused on hearing from heaven. Allow us, Father, uh, to be pliable in our hearts that the Spirit may have no difficulty driving your truths into it. And, Father, we'll thank you again. And we pledge to give you the praise and the honor and the thanksgiving, asking all of these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I went through a series uh, at our previous location in Michigan where we uh, talked about manhood. And as we worked through that particular series, I was struck by a question that the author asked. Uh, he said to those men sitting around, those of us, he said, who, who told you uh, that you were a man? When did you come to the place where you fully understood and recognized that you were a man? What rite of passage did you go through? And we were all challenged by that and and trying to think through, okay, well, when did I become a man? Uh, Because, you know, you don't think about it. In in our society, there is no rite of passage that says, okay, once you have done this initiation, you are no longer a boy, now you are a man. We don't have anything like that. And, of course, someone has said that a boy becomes a man uh, when a man is needed. And so life just kind of works this way so that responsibilities are called for. Life challenges us. And life calls to the man inside the boy and says, come out and face me, even as Goliath challenged the armies of Israel. And, of course, then the man comes out and assumes his proper place. And and, and God allows that process. In fact, as I was thinking about that, Luke 2.52, you know, my favorite passage, you know, recognizing uh, that in life, uh, we are to make mental growth. We are to have mental growth, and, and we are to uh, uh, choose wisely using the minds that God gives us. We are to have physical growth, the conditions that we find ourselves walking through as a result of those choices. We ought to have community growth as we recognize the value of the people around me and choose the ones who will enrich us and add value to our lives, cutting the ties to the ones who mean us no good. And of course, spiritual growth and development as we recognize that Christ is Lord and we surrender ourselves to his lordship and the calling that he places on our lives. We, we grow We move through life and from infancy to adulthood, we mature. The scriptures call us to be mature individuals. And as I thought about that, I asked myself, well, what does maturity look like in terms of spirituality? What is spiritual maturity? And what does it look like? And in this particular passage, I find that there are three things. (laughs) (laughs) that mark maturity. And I just want to talk about those three things this morning, and then we can let you go get ready for 1 o'clock. Like I said, I'd be knowing how it's going. (laughs) 
We've been talking about the mended life, and of course you see on the screen that my life begins to mend when I recognize, and, and we walked our way through uh, this particular section, the greatness of Christ, as we looked at verses 7 through 10, talking about uh, Christ uh, there. In fact, we'll go back and, and uh, if I find the right spot, it says he gave us grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gives us an Old Testament quote from Psalm 68 to show the validity of that. And then he goes on to say that Christ might feel everything. He's the great one, the greatness of Christ. I need to recognize his greatness. And then the gifts of the church given in verse 11, he gave some as apostles and prophets and and evangelists and pastors and teachers and we talked about how god gave his word for stability and he and those who spread the word and then those who teach his word and shepherd according to his words and then we talked about the goals of christian ministry in verses 12 down through 16 we ended up last week uh, looking at verses 14 and 15 and as I thought about this matter of maturity, circling back around, even as I was looking at the terms in verse 16, I noticed something about verses 14 and 15 and 16, how they, they kind of give a blueprint. And so then I asked, what is the blueprint for developing or bringing about Christian maturity, spiritual maturity? And so... The title, Developing a Blueprint for Spiritual Maturity. I thought about calling it Mending the Net Part 4, but I'm like, people be saying, we still on this? So I'm just giving it a different title, and we can circle back around it again. Notice what he says in verses four, verse 14. Uh, he noticed, and The first thing I noticed about a blueprint for spiritual maturity, it calls for what I call theological growth theological growth notice he says <clears throat> excuse me verse 14 he says that 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 we no longer uh, be children infantile what are children like tossed to and fro carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting there's a lot going on there we need spiritual growth he says as a result, you see, I highlighted that section. We are no longer to be infantile. We're no longer to be up and down, in and out. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, when your kids are, or your grandkids especially are little, you, you tend to say that, that uh, they have uneven disposition. That's a nice way of saying they're bad, right? <clears throat> But it's not that they're always bad. It's just that they have occasional bouts of sinfulness, and you have to restrain that, right? And then they, you know, they're here one minute, and they're happy. It's like the manic depressants, right? They're happy um, for a minute, and, and then one little thing goes wrong, and they're crying and pouting, and they're mad, and then you do something, and then they're happy again. So what is, what's this? We're not to be like that. We ought to have an even disposition spiritually and we're not to be deceived by those who trick us with when it says deceitful scheming the the words there describe in fact the word is methodia 
from which we get methodology. There are those who have a method by which they try to ensnare you with false teaching. I was talking to a, a guy who was a, a, a witness, a Jehovah's Witness, and he said, uh, he said, you know, the, the Bible teaches soul sleep. I'm like, I've never seen that in the Bible. He said, yeah, well, you know, when, you, when you're dead, then you go to sleep. And, of course, if you qualify, then they'll wake you up because, you know, the Scripture says the meek will inherit the earth. So, you know, when you're dead, you're done. He says, well, the Bible teaches that. And in fact, he, he said there's in e- Ecclesiastes 9, 5, it says, the living know that they'll die, but the dead don't know anything. Like, I don't think that's what that means, you know. In fact, um, how is it that, you know, when Saul was being disobedient and God stopped talking to him, you know, he went to a witch, the witch of Endor, and said, I want you to call up somebody for me. Right? Call up Samuel. Now, even the name, which it, 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 it tells us something about the art. What they do is they, they conjure and a demon comes up and impersonates somebody. But in this instance, you know, God pulled the wool back and he let Samuel come up. And she saw Samuel. It's not supposed to happen like that. And she got scared. And, of course, Samuel comes up and he says to Saul, why are you disturbing me? He said, God won't talk to me. I need to know what to do. He says, well, I told you it was going to be this way. You walked away from God in disobedience. In fact, he says, at this time tomorrow, you and your sons are going to be with me. How did he know that? If the, the dead don't, don't know anything. You know. So see, I, I don't think that's what that means. You know. But, you know, they, they try to... They try to trick you and deceive you into following their false teaching. You have to be able to to know the scriptures. Now, I I put up a little thing, uh, some blue shades, shades of blue. Now, my wife says that I'm colorblind. And I tell her it's because blue ain't blue no more. Blue used to be blue. But now I don't know what's blue. I don't know what any color is. You know, I bought a car, and I said, that beige car, and the guy says, no, that's sable pearl. <laughs> you know, I don't know what colors are anymore. But, but when I look at this, I, I look at all those shades. You see, at the very top, you know, it's the, the most blue. I won't call it the most blue. It's, it's royal blue and then navy blue and then azure and then cornflower and Maya and Carolina and baby blue and sky blue. And I'm like, why do you, why can't you sell blue? But they don't. And you have all these other different shades. And, and you know, as I was looking at that, I thought to myself, you know, that's kind of how things are. Uh, spiritually, because everything in life is spiritual, right? And so I put on the next slide, like, well, here's here's what happens in, in my humble opinion. You know, you have people who start off, and at the top is who Christ really is, right? He is the eternal Son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. But there are those, you see what it says, eternal, not made, 
that's, that's true. That's who he really is. But see, there are those who say he's made. And, he, and then he created. You know, the witnesses say he was the first one created and then he created everything else, right? And we talked about that. Because the scripture says all things were made by him. And apart from him, nothing was made that was made. So if it was made, he made it. It didn't say all other things. So he couldn't have been the first one made. Or else he would have had to say all other things. But it said nothing that was made was, was, was not made by him. However that I'm trying to say that. You, get what you know what I'm saying. So he, he wasn't made. They're wrong. But then there were those who say, well, he was created along with his brother, you know, Lucifer. Yeah, the Latter-day Saints teach that. And then they also say, well, well, he was just, Jesus was just a human, but he had a divine spirit. You know, I said, you know, they, they teach that the, the man Jesus, the, the, the spirit of Christ came on the man Jesus uh, at his baptism. And then it, it left him at the cross so that the Christ didn't die, the man Jesus died. Even though the scripture says Christ died for our sins, First Corinthians 15. There are those who say, well, he's just human. He was a prophet. You know, the Muslims teach that. They say Christ was a great prophet. But, you know, there was the last prophet, Muhammad. And there are those who say, well, you know, he was a great teacher. Like Gandhi, he says, I'm really drawn to this great teacher, Jesus. But, but he wouldn't say he's God. And so, you know, you can start off and to work your way down, and each shade down is a little lighter, a little lighter, a little lighter, a little lighter, until it's not really authentic royal blue. Or I guess you could start off saying there are people uh, like C.S. Lewis who started off examining who Christ is and saying, well, he's a great teacher. Well, then they find out, well, no, he's more than a teacher. He's a prophet. He's more... Than just a prophet, he's he's got to be the creator, and he works his way up until finally realizing that Jesus Christ is very God of very God. You know, on the next slide, I, I thought about salvation and how people work their way up. There's some people that say, "I don't need to be saved, right? I'm not that bad. I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer. I haven't killed people and ate them." I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I don't need to be saved. You know, a lot of rich people don't think they need to be saved. You know, they say, I don't have any need for stuff like that. That's for poor people. That's for people who don't have anything else, you know. There are those who say, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Now, that's how it is at my house, you know, Friday night. <laughs> I mean, somewhere in the... The mom manual, it says, thou don't have to cook on Fridays. <laughs> so Fridays like God for us all and every man for himself. I don't get that. But, <clears throat> but you know, I haven't been able to refute that. So it keeps happening. <clears throat> so yeah, I just go on to Popeye's and <laughs> spend 45 minutes in line. Okay, anyway, I just need to hear nothing. You know, I mean, that works on Friday nights in my house, but, but that don't work when it comes to spiritual things. Because God doesn't help those who help themselves, and that's not in the Bible, 
<clears throat> you hear it all the time, and you might even say that, but it's not biblical. In fact, you know, uh, sometimes we we mess with people. We say, well, you know, all the good people are going to be in hell. Only bad people are going to go to heaven. They wake up when you say stuff like that. And they say, well, yeah, because, see, you know, if, if you good, then you don't need Christ. Right? You don't need Christ if you are blissfully bad off. You know, I mean, you bad off, you just don't realize how bad off you know. And then you hear the gospel and find out you're worse than you thought you were, and you're under the judgment of God. Then, then the gospel becomes good news because you need a Savior then, you know. Some people feel that God has this big scale in heaven, right? And so they say, well, as long as my good outweighs my bad. <laughs> That's why when they, you know, at, like you, Brother Johnson, they got one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel, they'll call you in and say, well, you know, back when we was kids, I stole your bike. You know, I mean, they start confessing all that stuff. They're trying to clear the plate off. You know, so they lighten the load so that the scale will tip in their favor. It's just that there's no scale in heaven. There's only one standard, and that's, that's Christ, right? If you aren't perfect, you know, you can't, you can't get in. Well, nobody's perfect. Exactly, right? See, all the good people are going to be in hell. The only people going to be in heaven are those who realize that they were so bad off they had to call out to God for mercy and plead the blood of Jesus Christ. And see, that's those only ones going to get there. And then there are those who realize that salvation is only through Christ's sacrifice, only through his sacrifice, and no one else. Acts 4.12, right? Salvation not found in anyone else. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But you see, those deceitful liars, they spin a tail and they try to get you to buy into the lie. And if you don't know the truth, you'll be snookered. So, you know, we have to know the truth. Let me say it again. We have to know the truth. Now, I'll put this next slide up. This, 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 is, this is what happens when you don't know the truth. Like a person that walks into the library and says, I, I don't remember the title, but, but it's blue. Uh, um, not helpful. Right? I mean, you've you got to be a little more specific than that. There's some people that say, well, I, I, think, I think the Bible says, really. You know, they say, well, well, somewhere in the Bible, I think it says, really. No, you need to know what God's Word says. The only way to know what God's Word says is you have to be in the book. Eat the book, right? And, and you'll be okay. So that's my case with theological growth. I mean, you, you just got you to gotta spend the time to know what you have in Christ. Well, secondly, verse 15 talks about Christological growth. Now, that's just a big, fancy word that means that you ought to know more about Christ. You ought to grow in Christ. Notice it says in verse 15, speaking the truth in love. He's, I like that because that stands in opposition to the deceitful schemers who have a methodology to lead you astray from the truth. As followers of Christ, we speak truth. 
We're not lying or deceivers. We live the truth, and then we tell the truth, right? Christian who lies is an anachronism, whatever that is, right? He says, speaking the truth in love, we ought to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, Christ. You know, and, and you know, that I underlined the phrase, the two words, grow up. You know, one word in the Greek. But, you know, as I, I thought about it, you know, like my little, the littlest darlings, that's what I call my grandkids. My kids were the little darlings, and the grandkids are the littlest darlings, right? I would call them darlingettes, but that doesn't sound good. But, you know, when they were little, littlest darlings, my, my daughter, she would breastfeed them. And then she would teach them sign language, you know, like when to say more, please, more, please, or when to say I'm satisfied. And, you know, she said, well, even as little children, they need to be able to communicate, not just cry and get on their grandparents' nerves. They need to be able to communicate what they want, what they need. And so she taught them to sign out what they wanted, what they needed, right? And even as they got older, you know, they became toddlers and they have toys in 25 rooms in the house, right? And so, you know, you have to teach them, okay, there's a place for everything and everything needs to be in its place, right? When your toys come out to play, it's okay, it's cool, but when you get done playing, your toys need to go home. Right? They don't need to hang out all over the place <clears throat> where adults who don't look down will step on them and hurt themselves. So, <clears throat> you know, you, need, you have to teach them those kinds of things. And, and kids find out that they have to organize themselves and, and their environment. They, they grow. But, you know, as kids get older, uh, then, you know, you put them on a routine. They need to learn. They have to go to bed at 8 o'clock. Because they got to get up in the morning, and they don't want to go to bed at 8 o'clock. What do you do? You say, well, okay, you don't have No, you don't. You say, get in the bed. You don't realize how important it's going to be for you to get eight hours, you know, nine hours, whatever. <clears throat> you need that. And they have to learn to be on a routine. And they become teenagers, and they forget everything you ever taught them. And you have to remind them again, all right? You know, you have to be able to... to prepare your environment we do not allow hurricanes to come into our house so you know as if we step into your bedroom we'll knock first but you know you don't pay rent here so you don't have the right to privacy we'll knock to let you know we coming but we coming when we want to come because it's our house right but when we open the door we don't want hurricane season in there we don't want stuff all over the place you need to organize your room. Why? Because, you know, when you leave home, what you're going to take to the college dormitory is what you got at home. <laughs> no, now, when our oldest son went to college, I have to, have to be honest. His freshman year, he went to college, and I think I told you before, we went there, and the, the, um, the man had to sign the lease to rent the apartment before he let us see the apartment. <laughs> You know, we should have known then, right? But we went to see the apartment, and we walked in there. My wife was like, oh, oh, no. Oh, no. Patrick is not used to living like this. 
You know, I mean, the carpet was filthy, dirty. The uh, the uh, ceiling fan was, you know, kind of hanging down. The kitchen was a mess. And she's, no, 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 no. <clears throat> and she called. She fussed. And, you know, before it was all over, they had a new ceiling fan, new carpet, new kitchen. In fact, other kids were saying, hey, can your mom come down to our <laughs> I said to her, honey, I love you, but they're guys. It doesn't matter. Guys are just guys, you know. Some falls on the floor, they'll just shove it to the side, you know. Uh, but in fact, by the end of the year, we went to pick him up at the end of the year. The carpet looked suspiciously like it did when we first got there. I mean, you just can't do something with kids, right? But but my only point is, you know, you go <clears throat> from from infant uh, to toddler, to childhood, to teenager, and then you're out on your own as adults. And again, we teach our kids to be responsible and get a good job. So when they leave, they don't have to come back. And that's part of the maturing process. We want them to to grow up. We don't want them to stay as infants. Now, in our society, we have what they call prolonged adolescence. And we have that because somehow we don't want to let our kids grow up. We coddle them. <clears throat> we have the, the helicopter. I won't say helicopter mom, although we can be helicopter parents, <clears throat> and we can Make sure that they don't struggle and they don't have to suffer and they don't have those hard choices. They don't mature. <clears throat> and and we, we say that, well, we don't want to provide them with all the things that we never had. It's just that the things that you didn't have, you worked for and earned and you appreciate. The things that you get them that they didn't earn, they don't take care of. And then they, they don't seem to be responsible. They don't grow up because we don't always let them grow up because we're taking care of them. Now, honesty compels me to report that I'm as guilty as anybody. I sent three out. They stayed out, and the one stayed in. And I think his calling in life is to bury his mom and dad. And take over the estate. I think that's the plan anyway. But we 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 wanna we wanna grow up. We want our kids to grow up. If people don't grow up, they don't reach responsibility and maturity. And then they're always whining about what they need. <clears throat> and our government is always giving them more and more stuff. In fact, the reason that the middle class is kind of going like this. And you just have, you know, the rich and the poor. That's by design. <clears throat> they have to eliminate the middle class. I mean, if you want to know how Marxists think, no, <laughs> this is going to, now, I need to explain this. I, I was going to say, talk to Brother Edison, but I'm not saying that because he's Marxist, okay? I'm saying that because he's a historian. And he knows Marxism, and he knows the mindset and how it works. And we've had conversations about how Marxists, they spread um, disruption 
and they cause people to be dissatisfied and then they create victims and then they say well see the reason that the victims can't get ahead is because the rich own everything and have everything and then you listen to that and like the people who make 60 bucks an hour and still went out on strike (laughs) and they say well yeah well mary barra the head of gm the ceo she makes 29 million dollars a year and why does that matter really why does that matter? You say, well, well they, have, they have so much, they should be able to share more. Well, 63 an hour isn't enough for someone that barely finished high school. $140,000 a year isn't enough. Right? Education, GM pays for education. It's not enough. $12,000 bonuses a year. It's not enough. When is there ever enough? Well, as long as you have your eye on the people who have a lot more than you, you never have enough. But Jesus said godliness with contentment is great gain. <clears throat> and, and we're so unhappy. We're so dissatisfied. Even though the poorest people in our country fare better than 70% of the world. It's the most ungrateful. Okay, well, let me stop that. I, y'all going to call, going to claim that I had politics in mind, <clears throat> and, and it's not political. What does <clears throat> spiritual maturity look like? Well, verse 14 tells us stability in our walk because we have a foundation. Verse 15 tells us maturity looks like speech. That is truthful. And and we speak in love, but we speak the truth. We have to live in our truth. We can't live a lie. I ask myself, does my speech measure up to what the Scripture says truth is? Philippians 4, 8 describes it, gives some markers, because how I speak depends on how I think. And Paul says, whatever things are true and honorable, whatsoever things are right, the word right there means just. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are uh, uh, adorable of good report, anything that's excellent and, and praiseworthy, I need to think on those things. And if I think on those things, then my speech will be kind and excellent and uplifting. I speak the truth in love. You know, sometimes you speak the truth to people, they get mad. They get an attitude. <clears throat> In Galatians, Paul talks to them and he, he says, listen, I founded the church, but have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? But you can't handle the truth, right? False teachers, they're so anxious to win your favor, they are not doing it for your good. They're gaming you. But because I love you, I speak the truth to you. If you're messing up, I'm going to tell you you're messing up. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You don't need sugar. You need the truth. So you can act responsibly. And that's, that's why, you know, like I said, I have nothing else to teach you other than the Word of God. The final thing, sociological growth, is verse 16, sociological growth. He says... Speaking of 
Christ being the head. We grow up, we become more like Christ, our character, verse 15. He says, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together. <clears throat> now, one of the things that, that I, I actually love, my daughters don't believe it, but I actually love crossword puzzles. So they don't believe it because my daughter went to Europe and she brought me back um, this castle from Switzerland, New Swanstein or whatever it is, you know, 500 pieces and it's still in the box. Like, you don't, you don't like crossword puzzles. I'm like, well, I'm going to get to it one day. But, you know, when you have crossword puzzles, you know, you, 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 you recognize that the pieces, they, they fit together in a certain pattern. You can't just put any piece anywhere. It doesn't make any sense, and they don't fit. So you put the pieces where they belong, and then they fit together, and the picture makes sense, right? Sometimes you... You, you look at the picture and you like it so well, and you say, this is a thousand pieces. I ain't doing this over. So what do you do? You glue it together <laughs> so it stays together. You just hang it up on the wall, right? You know. Well, when he says being fitted, he's talking about like pieces in a puzzle that fit together. And when he talks about being held together, He's talking about being glued so that we permanently stay where we belong. We have staying power. And how does that happen? He says the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Every part of my body participates in the process of body life. There's any part of my body that doesn't have a purpose and operate according to function. I mean, we don't know what the appendix does, but we it's there. It does something for some of us. I mean, they took mine out when I was 15. I don't know why. I had a bladder infection, and maybe it was two for one day. I don't know. They took out my appendix just, just because they were in there. But, I mean, every part has a function. And there, 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 there's a competition among the parts of my body. In fact, I was, I was looking at it, you know, the 10 systems in our body, right? Your respiratory for breathing, you have your cardiovascular system that circulates the blood, and everything that your cells need is in the blood. You have the digestive system that takes the food and breaks it down and so that it distributes it through the circulatory system so that every part of your body gets what it needs. Your endocrine system makes the hormones that regulate your emotion. In fact, all everything is regulated by your endocrine system. <clears throat> the urinary system gets rid of stuff that doesn't belong there right a good thing to do get rid of what's not necessary you know it was a, a lady one time she was elderly and she passed away and her kids came to her house to to you know clear everything out and this lady was a hoarder and they found in her attic a bag that was marked pieces of string too short to use That's wasteful. Throw this stuff out. You know, well, your body has sense enough to get rid of everything that it doesn't need. And some of us, that's why we have storage space, right? <laughs> anyway. Reproductive, uh, you know what that's for. Nervous uh, system, communication, 
Integumentary is a nice way of saying your skin. If something happens to your skin, you die. It holds in all the moisture, and it, it shields your, your innards from the damage that the sun's rays would heap on it. The skeletal muscular system for support, support and stability, even your toes. I was telling the guy, if they cut off your little toe, you could not walk. Right? You couldn't stand up straight. The little toe doesn't seem like it does anything at all until it's gone. Every part matters, your lymphatic system for defense, and all of the systems, they all complement each other. They don't compete with each other. You wouldn't expect that. If the system ever has parts that compete, then it will harm the body, would it not? People that have those disease states, right, autoimmune diseases where a part of the body attacks another part of the body, the lymphatic system can't recognize those cells and it'll attack those cells, uh, then you're damaged. The body hurts when any part of it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Well, the thing about it is the church is called the body of Christ. And so we, we function together. All of us are necessary. You're important. I'm important. I need you. You need me. And we all need each other. And we, we need you to, 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 to participate, right? So what does spiritual maturity look like? It looks like stability, right? Verse 14, it looks like speech that's truthful, right? Verse 15, but it also looks like structure, well, your, your body operates in concert with every other part of your body. And because of that, you know, when you think about the church, you think about ministry in the church, you think about how the church functions, we all come together that we may learn how we are to function. You know, when, when uh, the egg is, is um, fertilized by the sperm, and mitosis sets in, and it divides and divides and divides and divides. You have all these stem cells. Stem cells uh, have the ability to differentiate into any other kind of cell. And at some point in time, you know every single cell from the mitosis process contains the entire DNA strand, right? And of the three billion cells that you have in your body, each one of them has a DNA strand. And what happens is the DNA is a blueprint of how everything is supposed to look, your eyes, your hair, your toes, everything. And every cell differentiates into its respective part. The RNA reads the blueprint, goes and tells these cells, okay, now you form the kidney, or, and you cells, you form the brain, and, and you cells, you form the heart, and, and, and it does it. Because God has designed it in an incredible way. But the cells, they, they are instructed in what to do, and then they function according to the instructions. Of the church. So what we do is we come together to learn the structure. What does God have in mind? And then the parts that we play in that structure. 
That's, that's, that's the important part. In fact, I put this little diagram up, right? Now, you've seen this diagram before. This is just my way of saying, learn the process. Learn the structure. God wants you to go from infancy to spiritual maturity, and that's why we have our discipleship courses. That's why our sign-up sheet's out there. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, you can see the core is our discipleship. Discipleship isn't something the church does. Discipleship is what the church does. And we, we reproduce Christ one person at a time. And so in our growth regimen, we start with <clears throat> Sunday school. All right, I know, I'm glad you all don't have any tomatoes or any other fruit to throw down here. But Sunday school, it gives, you know, three years to go through the entire Bible from the perspective of who Christ is and what he did. That's, that's so important to have a Christological growth. And then those three courses, growing strong, deepening your roots, bearing fruit, those six key areas of the Christian faith and knowing what they are and knowing how they function and developing the habit patterns so that they happen in your life without somebody telling you to do it. That's, that's the core. And, and you can see, I don't know what you can see. Well, you can see it better here than I can back there. Well, you know, one day it's going to be a bigger screen back there. And I won't be doing like this. Worship, instruction, fellowship, evangelism. That's, that's the structure that we have. So in the middle, we learn who we are and how the whole thing flows together. And then we have these four outlets that allow us to grow. The, as each person learns who they are in Christ and develops those six key areas of the Christian faith, then they're able to move out into worship and instruction and the fellowship and evangelism and function the way God has in mind. And that's what the church does. And that's all the church does. And then we grow together. Now, what I've done is I've tried to simplify that. And I gave you one final slide. And that one. You've seen that before, right? When I talk about wife, I simply mean worship, instruction, fellowship, evangelism. And it's true, isn't it? Happy life, excuse me, happy wife, happy wife, life. So if I ask you, how's your wife? Now, if you're single, you know I ain't talking about no woman. Right? How's your wife? If you're a woman, you know I ain't talking about no woman. <laughs> but listen, God wants you involved in worship. We get stronger as a result of worship because we focus on who Christ is and his greatness. We get deeper because of instruction as we understand more of who we are in him. We get warmer as a result of our fellowship and as we hang together. Not by news, we hang out together. And then we get larger as we evangelize. And evangelism is just removing the barriers that stands between another person and an accurate understanding of who God is and what he wants for them. 
That's all evangelism is. So it's just really my life showing them who Christ is. And then with my lips, I can tell them how they can know who Christ is. That's, that's all. And we're all called to be witnesses who share Christ with others. And then if, if I'm doing those four things, then my life is growing and I'm blooming wherever I'm planted. And so, you know, in the, the navigators, um, they used to uh, say, well, when we, maybe it wasn't navigators. I used to do small group training and we, we, would, we would say, you know, we give to God praise. God gives to us instruction, his word. We give to each other in fellowship. We give out to people who don't know Christ. So it's all about giving. And God wants us to be givers and, and lovers, not players and takers. And so you know, I won't be mad at you if after the amen you run out there and sign up on that sign-up sheet. Uh, for the discipleship course, I hope that you do. And if you haven't been coming come to Sunday school, and I mean, if there are things that prevent you, I understand. But if there are no inhibitions and you just can't, you know, bedside Baptist is just uh, your thing, uh, then, you know, I'm going to pray for you. Um, because we need you here so that we can find benefit from what God is doing in your life. God wants us all to mature, and I need you to do that. Father, thank you so much again for this day, and thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word. And Father, thank you for the process. Uh, we want to grow. We want to grow theologically. We, we want to know what your word teaches, and thank you for the way in which we are structured to make that happen. Uh, Father, whether it be Sunday school or whether it be the Sunday morning sermon or the Sunday evening Bible study or the Wednesday evening Bible study, we have opportunities to grow. Help us to take advantage of those opportunities. And uh, Father, thank you for allowing us to, to have the freedom to be in the Word. Strengthen us to desire, in increase our appetite for the Word of God and fill that appetite. Fill that hunger and that thirst with your word. We ask that your spirit may empower us to, to get into the word and delight in it. And Father, strengthen us even as uh, we walk together. Thank you for the love that already exists in this church. Uh, such wonderful people. And I'm so grateful, Father, to be a part of the body here. And I pray that we would benefit one another and continue to increase and father we pray that you might uh, be pleased to add more uh, that we might service their spiritual needs as well we just commit these things to you father pray for anyone here today who cannot say in our honesty that they know christ and the pardoning of their sins that they may not leave today without making sure that that is in place uh, they'll take the time to learn who Christ is and what he desires of them, and they'll surrender their lives to Christ today. And for those of us who've received Christ, strengthen us to uh, be faithful and committed to our worship, our instruction, our fellowship, even our sharing Christ with others. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.